Hi everyone, you're listening to Humanize Your Workplace with Alyssa Carpenter, where we chat about all things, well, human. On each of these bite-sized episodes, I'll give you something new to try to become more self-aware, help you build better work relationships, or just try to get you through a sticky work situation. It all starts with an open mind and a conversation. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Humanize Your Workplace. Today, we're joined by Dr. Alana Curry. She's a board-certified psychiatrist, clinician educator, author, and empathy expert with the mission to educate every person on how to heal from and break the trauma cycle to evolve our human species. Thank you so much for joining us today. I would love Thank to kick. You. Thank you for having me. Of course, and I would love to kick things off. If you wouldn't mind just sharing a little bit about yourself and your career, and what have gotten you to the place that you're at right now. Sure. So my name is Dr. Alana. I go by Dr. Alana Trauma Psychiatrist, and I've been practicing medicine for about twelve years, twelve thirteen years, and. I actually started, I had my entire career at the VA and I was drawn to doing trauma work. I really enjoyed in medical school and residency working with veterans. And my father is a Vietnam veteran. I have, you know, many military people in my family. So that was my way of giving service. And I was a PTSD specialist. And in that role, I started off on the outpatient side, uh, you know, taking care of people with depression, anxiety, PTSD, related uh, addictions, behavioral addictions, substance addictions, they all, you know, have a tendency to go together with trauma. And I was asked to be a a specialist on a inpatient unit, excuse me, a inpatient unit where veterans came for one month and they would get 12 months worth of evidence-based treatment, like the best stuff that we have. Mm -hmm. And in the process of that role, it really immersed me in trauma and it allowed me to not only study the veterans and their responses to things, but it also began to occur to me that I was hearing the same patterns of thought process that were coming out of my veterans, I started noticing them in my colleagues. And then I started noticing, you know, like in the nursing staff and we, you know, we were having these, uh, these situations where I'm like, well, this is very reactive type of thinking. Mm-hmm. This, this sounds like the patients. And then I started noticing it in my family. And then I started noticing it in my friends, this, this uh, heightened reactive type of thinking And then I started noticing it in myself. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, huh, wait a minute now. Um, I understand that I have been taught to think of trauma as something that has this bar that the person has to get over. It has to be sufficiently traumatic (laughs) based Mm -hmm. on the the DSM-5, which is like the psychiatry diagnostic Bible, basically. These are the conditions that we're taught to identify. And it it began to occur to me that we're not applying some of the new science that we've discovered over the last, uh, you know, 10 or 15 years that really shows that trauma is uh, is a brain-based condition, but it's a programming of 
in particular, six primitive brain systems that cause them to be on the lookout for more trauma. Therefore, you're interpreting your now through the lens of those past traumas. And that in itself was a significant discovery because then it became, okay, this, this is a predictable pattern that is affecting predictable brain systems that all of us have and there's something you can do about it. So that really was inspiring to me to go on this journey to educate people about trauma so that each person could work on, just you know, do your own self-work and identifying how your past traumas are affecting your now. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that, Dr. Alana. It's so, it's interesting that you, my brother's a veteran and it's interesting that you, mentioned seeing kind of the evolution of them and PTSD and then realizing that some of these things, these signs or symptoms were coming from everyday life. And, you know, sometimes when I talk to people, when you say the word trauma, we automatically think about potentially PTSD or veterans or something maybe we deem traumatic in our childhood. But Mm -hmm. can you almost define to us what trauma is and how it can even present our, it really in ourselves and, and we can see it in others? Sure. So I define trauma as experiences that we have that are internally painful and that cause us to think differently about the way that, uh, think differently about ourselves, about the world, about other people. So that's a little bit different from, from what you might find in, in other texts, but let me explain why I say that. Uh, trauma is defined by the individual who's experiencing it. And I think that's a huge difference mm-hmm. between us saying that there's some bar about how you are supposed to react or feel in the moment of the trauma. Because for example, with a lot of veterans, um, they may experience something traumatic, but because of their training, because they're desensitized to some of the the, the, the crazier experiences that they may have, they may not register it as traumatic, but it still may plant the seed for their brain to uh, throw that experience back in their face or recreate it biologically when their brain picks up on something in the environment that indicates that that trauma may be happening again. So for example, um, natural disasters are the greatest source of psychological trauma in our world right now, because they can affect so many people. A hurricane, a tornado, an earthquake affects so many people at the same time. In in Houston, uh, Hurricane Harvey came through. And I remember for the uh, weeks, we were dealing with the aftermath of the actual, uh, the actual hurricane. But then the first time that it was going to rain or storm after the hurricane had passed, I got so many calls from people about how anxious they felt and how paranoid they felt and they were having panic attacks because just because the weather was turning back to something that reminded their brain about what they had just gone through and gave a exaggerated response. So that can be applied to so many things. Trauma is not just natural disasters. It can be uh, having a car accident. It can be being fired from a job or losing out on a role or performing poorly on a test. It can be 
um, a relationship trauma. Many of us have relationship traumas and other past things that cause us to look at uh, things differently. It can even be I'm expressing my emotions to my parents or I'm telling uh, my significant other how I feel about something and they invalidate me. They tell me that I shouldn't feel that way or that my reality is not what I you know, experienced. And all of those things cause invisible psychological wounds that add up to affecting the way that we think about ourselves and about other people in our world. And thank you for clarifying and saying that it's really, I don't want to say up to the individual, but you and I might experience the same thing or have an event that was very similar, but our brains and we might process it really differently. So it's, it's important to understand that while you might not have had a traumatic experience because of X, Y, and Z, it doesn't mean that somebody else doesn't have a traumatic experience. Exactly. And what, unfortunately, the way human beings are designed, if you think about uh, how we're designed biologically, we're, we're all calculating, our brain is like a computer. It's like our CPU. And it's calculating data and information and drawing constant conclusions that we treat as if those conclusions are fact. Like I believe my version of reality. Um, but no one's version of reality is 100% accurate. Mm -hmm. it, it's all based on the subjective labels that we've been taught to put on our interpretation of what's happening. And then the parts of your brain, for example, your amygdala, right? That's the part of your brain that creates your emotional responses, your feelings inside of you. It transmits those signals to the rest of your body and that's how you feel things. So we say things like, um, I'll give you an example of a car accident. You might have a car accident and it might've been scary, but you may not have issues when, you, you know, the first few times you get back in the car, you might feel a little more anxious, but that biological response may uh, usually might fade, but there may be someone else who has a very similar accident that then struggles to drive and begins to change their patterns because uh, or their behavior because they're afraid of having that same experience again or having panic attacks when they try to get on the road. And the, that person would be developing the after effects or symptoms of psychological trauma. But of course, how often do people get um, educated about, you may have this experience, you may have right. this feeling after having had something like that. And it's, it's interesting thinking about even how it manifests itself. So I might have a panic attack, something else might happen to you with, you know, it may be a different experience. Are there other mm -hmm. signs or symptoms that we're rethinking about a traumatic experience or we're going through a traumatic experience that we can be aware of? Well, um, the first thing to understand is that there is no such thing as not having trauma. So every human being on earth, 7 billion plus human beings on earth have experienced trauma and are experiencing trauma right now. Yep. <laughs> like for example, COVID, you know, has remarkably changed the way all of us have to move around and we have a real invisible threat that we have to learn to manage. And so the question is not whether you've had trauma. The question for me is 
what are your traumas and how many have you had and how are those things piling up to affect your brain's programming and how it responds to whatever you're presented with. So we all have had traumas, but it's on a dial, some more than others. And people who have especially experienced a lot of childhood trauma, uh, adolescent trauma, young adult trauma, um, those things play a role in adding up more and more and more to impact the emotional response, the biological responsiveness mm -hmm. of the person in question, if that makes sense. No, it does. And you can't just box it in. It's going to manifest itself or things are going to show up whenever they do. It can be yeah. at home and it can be at work. And I'm just curious, you know, thinking about organizations and leadership, are there things or programs that you've seen that that have worked that leaders can do to really provide their employees to ensure that they're getting the support that they need? I think one thing that we have to do is to, number one, address the stigma of trauma because when there, first of all, there's no shame in having something that everyone has, right? So mm -hmm. that the first thing that we can get out of is when, when we say to people, how are you doing emotionally? Or how are you doing today? What's most people's knee jerk reaction? We say, how are you doing? That's oh. always good, fine, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, we're conditioned to give superficial responses because first of all, the other person probably doesn't really want to know the answer. <laughs> they, right. they did, they'd be like, oh my Lord, you know, people are struggling. So I think in the workplace, it's important for leadership to understand that we cannot just forge on as usual. Um, that is a that is the first thing. We we have this tendency to use EAP like employee assistance programs, but only when people are struggling, only when there's mm -hmm. something going on. But we need to, just like how some workplaces provide gyms and you know memberships and other ways to take care of people's physical health, we need to take care of people's emotional health because everyone has emotions all the time. Everyone has an amygdala. And how you recognize when people are having trauma is when people are having emotional struggles, when you're seeing uh, um, more irritability, more snappiness, less positive communication, less respectful language, when you're when you're having more people calling in or saying that they're they they may feel overwhelmed, or inviting people to actually express that because our workplace environment for years has added tasks added responsibilities to what they expect out of their employees without really calculating the psychological energy and the psychological um, uh, uh, burden that it may be on their employees to carry out those tasks. So it's, it's one of those things where when you see someone struggling, you're usually just looking for behavior changes <laughs> that would indicate that they just may need more support and we can validate that you know, whatever's happening in their life, it may be uh, sick friends or family, it may be their own fears for coronavirus, it may be um, trying to virtual school their kids <laughs> and still keep up with the same workplace expectations. I think we, we have this magical thinking that we want coronavirus to go away. And my God, I do too, trust <laughs> me. Um, but the only way that that can happen 
is for us to really accept that it's here and that we need to make adjustments that help us survive psychologically until we can get past this. That's huge. And even just what you said about kind of recognizing the behavioral differences. As a leader, it's so important to be present to even see those differences. Yeah. Somebody was getting back to you within 24 hours of an email and now it's always a couple days, a week, or they're not as excited. It's seeing those changes so you can proactively have those conversations, I think is really important. Absolutely. And that's also why I created the empathy skills practice methodology in the first place because I recognize that there are not any, that not that I could identify, there were not any programs that were specifically addressing what does trauma look like? What does it mean for the individual and the community that they're operating in? And how can I um, have a skills over pills approach to addressing what those uh, what those people may need in real time. So that's that is that was the purpose of even creating empathy skills practice for traumatized humans. Can you tell us a little bit more about the methodology? I'd love to hear kind of the process behind it. Sure. So it, it truly arose from my own traumas. To to be frank with you, um, when I was going through you know, I go back to 2014 was really a extraordinary year for me, but that was also the year that Michael Brown Jr. was killed in Ferguson, Missouri. And he, I'm from St. Louis. I, I was a, a kid in those same streets and certainly was, uh, I was a challenging kid to raise, my mom would say. So I really identified with both sides of the equation because I was probably a lot like him when I was a teenager, but I also was married to a police officer at the time mm -hmm. and had a lot of close relationships with you know, people in law enforcement. So I really understood both sides of that equation and how different a circumstance can look for two people having the exact same experience, but interpreting it very differently and of course creating uh, you know, hurtful, painful, and negative outcomes when we are not able to engage with empathy mm -hmm. from both sides of the coin. So I began to ask myself, how do I, you know, how do I recognize the impact of my primitive brain systems, my amygdala, my reticular activating system? Um, these are all, these are systems that I teach about but overall, what they do is they create what I call shitty thinking, subjecting, harsh, intense, terrorizing to yourself. Shitty thinking, bad thinking, <laughs> all of these things are uh, the cumulative outcomes of being submerged in a society that has not dealt with their traumas. And when I started to ask myself, okay, how would I turn on my prefrontal cortex? That's the part of your brain that is uh, your most evolved part of your brain. It's your brain's CEO. It's the part of your brain that can look at a situation and identify the short-term goals and the long-term goals and over, override that primitive animalistic you know, reaction or input that might take you away from what you want to create. So empathy skills practice is helping is number one, educating people about 
how powerful our biology is to create these uh, huge, intense responses and urges that we usually allow to shape our words and shape the way we behave. And so using that prefrontal cortex, uh, using empathy skills practice to kind of update how you're thinking and what you're thinking and apply a systematic strategy to evaluating, am I doing trauma thinking or am I done with trauma thinking, which done is descriptive, objective, non-judgmental and effective thinking. So it's the ESP is based on giving you tools to help you basically wrestle your own brain into recognizing a better strategy to achieve your short and long-term goals. Oh, that's awesome. I have just two kind of quick questions for you. One being, what can we do now? And I know that answer might vary, but if we think that we might be experiencing trauma or just even in this COVID world that we're in, what can we do to make sure that we're taking care of ourselves? Mm, That is such a good question. What we can do to make sure that we're taking care of ourselves is to set firm boundaries. And that may mean we have to recalibrate our expectations for ourselves and for other people. And what I mean by that is that we're usually our own harshest critic. You know, um, mm-hmm. we are, are in most people's internal language towards themselves and about themselves. It's shaped in an environment that has very high expectations for us. Um, we are expected, we expect ourselves to do so much in one day and technology has added to that, right? Yep. Now we have, uh, we're, our cars go faster, our computers go faster, we're in a constant you know, email chains, constant meetings, but that really already before the pandemic hit, we were starting to see so much of an uptick of mental health problems because we have unrealistic expectations for ourselves that have been shaped by an environment that's placed, uh, you know, manufactured unrealistic expectations on our workers, right? Um, I guarantee you the workers were not the ones who voted to say that a 40 hour work week is is (laughs) the expectations, right? So we have these uh, expectations that we were already trying to meet and then the pandemic hit and that adds so many invisible responsibilities, so many uh, things that are not typically recognized in the workplace, but yet we're still trying to accomplish the same amount of even more in Mm -hmm. a day. So you have to start talking to yourself and saying, no, it's good enough. Whatever I can accomplish today is good enough. And if I didn't, you know, make my house perfectly clean, if my kids didn't quite do as well as I wanted them to, if I'm not quite as, uh, as quick and turning around this task, or it might be, I have to say no to this task force. I'm not able to accept this role on this committee right now because I really need to protect my mental health to get through this pandemic because that's the most important thing. The rest of it, you know, a lot of people are like, but I need to be the, uh, I need to be in upper management in five years. Well, you know, if it takes seven years 
then, but, but for these two years that we're in this pandemic, you took a pause from that goal or not even a pause, but you just slowed down or recalibrated your expectations so that you can be mentally healthy and not have a meltdown. Cause then you still won't yep. get to that goal. <laughs> I think I needed that pep talk today. And I, know, I am yes. sure our listeners, it's just the, what you said to, about the invisible responsibility, just all of those things hit home so much because we set these goals, especially if you're high achieving these expectations and then nothing in the world. There was a mug I saw the other day. Um, like I miss the, expectant times or I miss the, you know, there is never, there's always something that's going to pop up that's unexpected. So I needed that pep talk. <laughs> so I really appreciate yes. it. Hashtag good enough. I tell right? myself good enough almost every day uh, because it's a, it's a good thing to kind of stamp in your own mind when you find yourself going, oh, I didn't get those groceries today. Mm-mm. Good enough. We have food in the house. Yep. They, they, no, nobody starved. <laughs> yeah, that's that's my goal at the end of the day. Are we alive and healthy and everybody's good? <laughs> Absolutely. And those that that is really even especially what I tell the parents right now who are trying to work and navigate virtual schooling or supporting their children who are who are going to in-person school. Uh, we we have added whole jobs like there are pe- pe- the yep. people get paid well and they go through a lot of training to be able to be teachers and caregivers for our children and now we have uh, even greater expectations on ourselves so it's okay to say my kid may not get uh the best grades this this semester they may not even get the best do the best in school i've had to tell some of my um college student mentees like, you know, it's okay. You don't have to try to rush through and take a bunch of extra classes. This is a great time to lower yep. the amount of things that you're expecting on yourself and, and recalibrate how you feel and think about things. So good enough, good enough, good enough, good enough, good enough. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, I can't thank you enough, Dr. Alana. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm I'm curious if you can just share um, with us your contact information, how we can reach out to you, and definitely how we can do that if we want to enlist in your services. Sure. So I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube as Dr. Alana, D-R-A-L-A-U-N-A, where I give many free resources and videos about how to cope during the pandemic and education about these six primitive brain systems that I talk about as well as how to activate your own prefrontal cortex. The good news is that everybody has these systems. Everyone's brain is designed the same way. So if everyone does their internal work, think about how, uh, how wonderful, what a wonderful world that will be when we all know how to uh, activate our prefrontal cortex and, and think deeply and empathetically about what to do. I can also be reached at the try which is da-tri.org. And that is my online academy. I do not provide any clinical services because I understand that there are so many people that just need to be educated Mm -hmm. about what is going on with their own body and brain. And so I focus on creating the TRI, which is a nonprofit organization and an online academy where they can access my best materials, my best courses, and really be able to dive into 
what is happening in their lives, as well as we have a once a month skills coaching course for all members of the tri where they get feedback from me about how they're applying their skills. No, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. And I know our audience got some really valuable information. And to our audience, if you have any questions that you want to be addressed in a future episode, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn at Alyssa Carpenter. Until next time. Thanks again for listening. But did you know that you can leave me a voice message to answer any questions on an upcoming episode? Just go into the show notes and the link will be there at the bottom for you to send me that message. Have a great day.